When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today is Monday, March 21st, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman, episode 452, featuring longtime NBA scribe, also author Ian Thompson, is powered by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag today, use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% sign-up bonus. All right. Well, look, as Jalen Brown told us on Twitter and then in his post game in Denver, winter always turns to spring. You know what? It's officially spring and it's good. The energy changed like Jalen told us was going to happen in late January, even though he claims that it had nothing to do with Boston with the club floundering and sitting around 500. Well, 18 and three since winners of 21 of 25 and the Celtics right now are only a half game, a half game out of second place in the Eastern Conference. Welcome in, everybody. Adam Kaufman. This is Celtics Beat. Evan Valenti here, as always, because even if he's not on the mic, he's certainly producing, so he is always with us. And here as, well, often, as often as any other guest, Ian Thompson. We always love to have him. Ian, how are you? Uh, great, thanks. How are you? Look, I, I couldn't be better. I, I, I'd, I'd love to – I don't want to say that I'm the type of person that looks for something to complain about because, honestly, I'm not. That's that's a different Adam that you hear on the airwaves uh, oftentimes. But with respect to the Celtics team, there is nothing, nothing even to complain about. Life is good. Three. It's a four-game road trip. They're 3-0 to start. Finishes up in Oklahoma City tonight. All three games thus far – in Golden State against certainly a championship contender, in Sacramento against a not great team, and in Denver against the reigning and perhaps future most valuable player of the league, all wins by at least 20 points, all blowouts. And now you've got a Thunder team tonight as we sit here and talk right now that's in OKC. I know like scheduled losses or trap games or whatever else. I don't think so. I don't think so. Thunder have lost nine in a row, and nobody was overworked in Denver for the Celtics. They should cruise again. This is a wonderful trip. It's a wonderful experience being a Celtics fan right now. Yeah, and you know what? It's been earned, right? So for all the fans out there who were suffering in the first half of the year, just like you're expressing that, they're, they're all feeling like they paid their dues. And surely the players are feeling that way, and the coach, Brad Stevens, everybody with the franchise. They were all perplexed by the start of the year. They didn't, they, they didn't see it coming. They thought, they thought the team would be playing better. It ought to be gelling. They had enough years together. Um, and it's not just the Derek White trade that's turned around. This was building before that. The, mm-hmm. That's sort of like adding an extra gear to the, to the engine, but the engine was already moving in the right, right direction at high speed. And then the fact that they're doing that on defense just is, I think, is the cause for everybody having so much, such high expectations for the playoffs. The fact that this is a defensive team and you may look at other teams in the East and say, okay, maybe they have the better player on their team or they have more super, super power talent on their team. 
But when you play defense like the Celtics are right now, um, it just gives you a chance against everybody. It's like the hockey playoffs with the hot goalie. Well, they mm. got five guys all protecting the rim and they have a center like they've never had, not, not in the modern era. They've never had this kind of lively guy that block shots and moves around and is not a stiff on offense. They can play the ball through them. They have so many playmakers right now. Um, uh, no one is lost with the ball. Everybody knows what he's supposed to do. The decisions are quick. Um, it's none of the standing around and dribbling and wondering what they're supposed to do next. And it's all now playing basketball without thinking. And they were thinking so much in the first half of the year. And, and now they're so much better at all of those things. Jason Tatum, uh, I'd love for us to talk about this as we move on, but is Jason Tatum the guy that can lead a, a championship team? And it didn't seem likely in the first half of the year. And now it's something really to talk about. We should talk about that. To everything that Ian's talking about, Evan, you know, mm-hmm. we've spent time on this in, in past shows. This is not new. I mean, I, I came out and I said it after that win over the Nets against Durant and Irving at the Garden that, you know, that was that was kind of what I needed to see for a for a full buy-in. I was tempted. I was I was I was teetering. I wanted to be there in terms of what's this team ceiling? Are they truly a championship contender this year? But with everything Ian just talked about and obviously some of the wins that we've seen since you if if you're left in the dust if you're anyone out there on social media right now or talking head media tv you know radio whatever uh, and and you're sitting there and saying like well i don't i don't know what you're waiting for i don't know what you're waiting for with this team short of actually going out in the postseason and doing it because we're not going to see anything else in the final 10 games of the regular season i don't think short of winning all of them that is going to take you yet another level with this club with where they're at right now and where they've been for a couple months yeah, this this team is outrageous currently. I was reading Greeny's blog this morning. Shout out Greeny, uh, Barstool Sports, obviously, and about all the guys that Jason Tatum has gone up against recently and taken down. Um, you know, Katie and, and Kyrie being one of them. They've done this to Jokic a few times here in 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Morant, that was gone. You know, Trey Young, that you know, toasted him. He's gone. The only game that was tough for them was the Mavs game and the Mavs, who have been one of the best defensive teams in 2022, much like the Boston Celtics provided themselves a very worthy adversary there. Luka was outrageously good like he normally is. Like that's the only guy that they didn't have any success against. And that made like any meaning they didn't win the game. I mean, they obviously Tatum was great in that game and they came, you know, a Spencer Dinwiddie three pointer away from maybe winning that game in overtime or whatever. But, you know, they've, they've had challenges in front of them. I mean, it's, it's interesting. They've gone from the team that, that caught everybody at the right time. That's why they're winning games. So, oh, now they're just stacking up wins against playoff teams, either in the East or the West. And at this point, it can't be ignored. And, and as we talked about, you know, the past shows with Tatum and how his ascension has been wonderful to watch. It is the rest of the team that has come up behind him and really stepped up too. And you don't go on the run they went on yesterday in the second quarter, the 15-0 run in about four minutes without everybody else stepping up. And Tatum, I think, in that run hit one three-pointer. But it was Peyton Pritchard. It was Grant Williams. It's Rob Williams. It's every. It's everybody. It's infectious right now. And when you have – the rotation they have, they have their seven or eight guys that they clearly like. They're about Derek White hitting shots away from throwing perfect games. And I'm serious about that. If Derek White starts hitting threes, then you have a serious problem in your hand to feel your team. Grant, his little regression, that's come back. You know, he's, he's hitting shots now. Peyton Pritchard with his newfound rotation spot after Schroeder's gone. He's 
what, nine for his last nine? He's nine for his last nine from three-point range. Payne Pritchard, he's hitting shots right now. Um, As I've said repeatedly on Twitter, once Tatum starts hitting shots, he's first-team All-NBA, and now he's starting to hit shots. Jalen Brown, after his little bit of a stumble after coming back from the ankle injury, he's had 30-point games of back-to-back. I mean, it's it's just – Exactly what you want to see this time of year. And, and like Kaufman, you and I were texting last night after the first half. I'm like, this game's over. Game's over. They just, they yeah. went in Denver and in about five minutes, they said, no, game's over. And then of course, Tatum at the end, I think it was the fourth quarter, he gave the kiss of death, you know, mm-hmm. uh, after he had a big three. That, that's curtains, baby. But it was curtains in the second quarter. It wasn't curtains at the, it, I'll give Denver some credit. They made a little bit of a run in the second half, but that game was, I mean, it was perfect. It was perfect. It was, and that you're seeing more than that, uh, more of that than less lately. And as we talk about often, Kaufman in our chats, you know, off camera, I mean, it's almost like you're mad when they don't play. It's like, it's like I need them to play more because I just really enjoy watching what's happening on the floor currently. Well, even the game in Sacramento, you know, it was a Friday night and everybody in my house is a sleepy and I'm sitting there. I'm going, yeah, I mean, obviously, like, I, I love this team. I'm going to watch, but. Like normally, I'm not going to lie. Normally, that's the kind of game against a bad team where you just know it's over. We're at halftime. I'm like, okay, that was great. Games in hand. I'm going to put on a movie, but I wanted to watch the second half because this team is just steamrolling other teams out there. And it's fun to watch. It wasn't, you know, are they going to win? It's how much are they going to win by? And, you know, continuing to get a look, obviously, at the rotation, who's going to be involved. We got back to back games now with at least 30 points for both Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, something that hasn't happened for Celtics teammates since Larry Bird and Kevin McHale back in 1988. You want to talk uh, about uh, Jason Tatum. Everybody wants to talk about Jason Tatum. Let's do that. Denver fans. And again, Denver fans, or at least Celtics fans in Denver, but nevertheless, he's getting MVP chance in Denver where you have the actual MVP, the defending MVP for the home team, Nikola Jokic, who I believe, like, to, if I had a vote, which certainly I don't, he's the MVP again this year. And yet it's Jason Tatum who is outplaying him, getting the MVP chance on the road. He was asked about it, said, obviously, it's, it's a, uh, excuse me, it's a great feeling. It's, you know, it's, it's, it is even more special getting it on the road than getting it at home because obviously of, of just the, the environment and takes you to a new level. And, you know, we were having, you were talking about, and, and obviously we want your thoughts. You were talking about, can Jason Tatum be a guy that, that takes your team to that championship level? We extensively last week talked to Jared Weiss about, is he in the MVP conversation? Truly, in my mind at the time, and I've gone back and forth with people like Cedric Maxwell, among others on Twitter since when, you know, he was calling me out about my opinion. I said, no, I don't think he is as great as he's playing as much as, you know, he could be first team all all NBA like Evan's talking about. To be truly in the conversation, it means you have a chance of winning. That's how I view it. You know, you can't just be like four or five and, you know, it's it's a landslide in the votes. It, it, for whoever wins the thing, you got to have a chance to win the award, to really be in the conversation. And hard-pressed to see him beating out the likes of Joker, Giannis, and Bede. But let me ask you, a hypothetical here. If the Celtics continue to do what they're doing collectively and actually finish with the second seed in the East ahead of Embiid, ahead of Giannis, obviously Joker's in the other conference, am I selling Tatum short this year? You know, it, it's there's a little bit of like a presidential election kind of thing to these MVP uh, races, and it's hard. 
they're slow moving, right? The momentum's slow moving. It's a, actually what it's a little bit like is when they talk about in the Navy trying to turn an aircraft carrier around. It just, you just <laughs> can't do it instantly. You know, it just takes a while. So I can't see him winning it this year, but I can see him being on a bunch of ballots, you know, and being fifth in the race, something like that. And then that sets him up for next year. Um, so the the MVP thing is a valid thing to be talking about with him. He's He should definitely be one of the candidates. I don't think anybody should think he's going to win it. Um, their schedule down the stretch is really tough. I think it's three non-playoff teams and everybody else, and a lot of teams have skin in the game that they're they're going to be really trying to fight for their own position. So um, it's not going to be an easy stretch. Right now they're totally healthy. We know in the NBA you can't count on that from day to day. Um, I actually think bringing Neesmith back is going to be a big thing because they're going to need him. It's like having the next arm in the bullpen and you always, you can't have enough. And if they're going to have a deep playoff run, they're going to need that guy because something's going to go wrong. You know, everything looks great right now, but they're going to be going up against tougher teams and playoff series. And it's not going to, uh, Peyton Pritchard isn't going to be making all his threes and it's just not going to be as easy as it is right now, which is not to criticize what's going on right now. They're doing everything they should right now but it's just not going to be this easy going forward. As far as Jason Tatum, what I, what I'm focused on is this question of um, if you go back to 1980, starting with the bird magic era, the modern era of the NBA, all but one of the championships has been won by 17 players. So we're talking 41 championships and they've been hoarded by 17 guys. The one outlier is the Detroit Pistons of Chauncey Billups he wasn't, we can't call him a great player, but all the others, if you didn't have one of those 17 guys, you weren't going to win it. So we're talking magic, Larry, Moses Malone, Isaiah Thomas, Michael Jordan, Hakeem, Tim Duncan, Shaq, Dwayne Wade, Garnett, Kobe, Dirk, LeBron, Kawhi, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Giannis. Those 17 guys, it's not like this in any other sport where you have to have that guy to win the championship. And I put together this list back in 2011 when I was doing my book, The Soul of Basketball. It sounds like I'm hawking my book, but I'm really doing this to talk about Jason Tatum. And I had the list. And back then it was like a dozen guys or maybe 13. And I showed it to Mitch Kupchak right before he was GM of the Lakers at the time. And I was out in LA and I showed him the list. And he looked and he goes, well, the interesting thing about this list is you never know who's going to be the next guy. And some of these guys on the list, they came out of nowhere. Um, Dirk came out of nowhere. No one saw him winning the championship going in. Um, Kawhi Leonard came out of nowhere with the Spurs the first time. Dwayne Wade. That's how it would be for Tatum. He's been building up. But if he were to make a run through the playoffs, um, people, and win it all somehow at the end. He'd be one of those surprise guys that that got the momentum going and won it. But he's showing all the signs of these other guys. He's showing all of the the prerequisites. Um, His team is playing defense. Um, He's got this balance between looking out for himself and helping others. Um, He's got the size and the strength to dominate and the athleticism to dominate in a variety of ways. He's making big shots. Uh, he can get to the basket. He's going to the free throw line now like he's never done before, which is always 
a huge indicator of superstardom in the NBA getting to mm -hmm. the free throw line. So you look at all of it together. I, I just, that to me is the turning point when you can start to say to yourself, is Jason Tatum capable of being one of those guys? Cause you can't win the championship without that guy. And it's gotta be him. So I'm just kind of thinking about this as, as we sit here, but you know, certainly in, in any sport, but we're focused on the NBA, there are tiers of player, right? You know, there's, there's, yeah scrub there's role player there's good player there's great player there's all-star there's superstar but then you get to you know all-time player and there are I certainly believe uh, I, I don't think that by definition Jason Tatum is a superstar yet I think he's playing at a superstar level but I think you need to do it for an entire season to be called a superstar and we know what happened the first half of this year we know what happened parts of last year he's not there yet he'll get there I certainly believe Jason Tatum will be a superstar and I'm not alone in that I've been saying it for years so have other people you know it's this is not a hot take by any stretch but you know some there are times that like I was listening to NBC one night it was the pregame show Chris Mannix is on and he's saying how uh, he believes that one day Jason Tatum is going to be the Celtics all-time leading scorer. He's going to pass John Havlicek. Now he's like 20,000 points away from doing that. Mathematically, Kenny, sure. He can do it in the next 10, 12 years easily. He is certainly of the age where if he stays healthy, he can do it. Now I'm not a thousand percent convinced in today's, you know, era ge generation of basketball that he's going to be a Celtic long enough to do it. I hope he is. Yeah. You know, but but you can't, you know, we can't be convinced that he's going to be another Kobe, another Duncan, another whatever. Like, guys do change teams. But, at you know, do you ever do you ever feel like in watching Jason Tatum's growth, you know, he's he's 24 and he's setting all sorts of statistical records for, you know, doing this by X age. At what point are we comfortable saying that we think we might be watching an all time player in Jason Tatum? Oh, you'll know that after he wins the championship. If he doesn't win the championship, then we will not be having that conversation. Unless he's one of those rare few, like Charles Barkley, where you have to give him his due and he was a great player. But Charles is still an outsider. And every time you watch TNT, he's reminded Jack, of always, <laughs> Jack always turns and says, Kenny, you know what I'm talking about. And he starts talking about winning championships and he's leaving Charles out of the conversation. <laughs> this is not football. Dan Marino is one of the great players of all time. He didn't win a championship and he can get by on that in football. Ted Williams can get by in baseball. Basketball, this goes back to Bill Russell. Bill Russell is the most influential player in the history of basketball because he established that to be a great player, and he did it at Will Chamberlain's expense, to be a great player, you have to win championships. And not only did he show that you have to win championships, he showed how you win them by, by emphasizing defense first and teamwork and um, making the other players better. He established all that. When Michael Jordan was, losing, was leading the league in scoring and doing his impression of Wilt Chamberlain, that wasn't enough for Michael Jordan. He knew he was nobody until he won championships. And it was the mission that drove him. It's driven every player ever since Bill Russell. And and so if Jason Tatum isn't winning a championship, especially with the Celtics, he just doesn't rate. He's a, he's a really, really good player, but he wasn't one of these 17 that we're talking about. You have to be one of the 17 to be really, really special in this age. 
Let's take one quick break. Just want to tell you, it's this uh, that time of year again. It's, it's March, folks. College basketball. It's not just NBA. Hopefully, you've been paying close attention to the NCAA tournament. Your bracket is not yet busted going into the Sweet 16. Of course, uh, college BB, if you will. Basketball taking center stage is the tournament. It is upon us. we got a couple weeks left. If you're looking to wager this year, bet online. Your top spot, your number one destination for all your updated odds and information, along with great contests, including the bracket contest, where you have a chance to take home a top prize, head on over to our website, use the mobile device to sign up today, receive 50%, a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use the promo code CLNS50 for a, uh, again, that welcome bonus to get you started. Bet online. It is your continued source for all your sporting wagering needs, including, of course, live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. You got baseball futures out there. NHL playoffs are coming up. NBA playoffs very quickly. <laughs> Quickly, pardon me, approaching. So it's the fastest and easiest way to wager on all the popular sports and games. Make sure you do it. Bet online where the game starts. Ev, are you falling asleep at night just, uh, you know, laughing at the people who suggested separating Tatum and Brown now? <laughs> yeah, it was ridiculous then. It's ridiculous now. Shout out Jalen Rhodes, the only one that was on an actual national television saying it was a dumb idea. Shout out to Jalen. Um, like that's because that's the big thing now is like, you look at the C's team from a national perspective and everybody's like, well, they have enough scoring. Their defense obviously is good enough. They're holding teams to under 42% shooting for the season. Still, I believe after last night, I think Denver shot 40% from the field. Um, they have an elite defense to get you there. It's just that they have enough scoring and, and primarily it's directed at Jalen Brown. And like as, as much as people want to talk about Jalen Brown being the second banana and not being as good of a scorer as, as Jason Tatum is like, yeah, I totally understand that. But Brown, you know, his last two games, 30 points apiece. I'm not sure what else you want him to do. Um, he had that injuries coming back from that. But, like, when you like when you have this team functioning at the level they are right now and it's literally everybody contributing, whether it's Jalen or if it's Grant Williams or Al Horford or whatever, like, it doesn't really matter. Bringing those two up was always dumb, always going to be dumb, because that's where prime – I mean, go through Ian's list. Ian, how many guys are wing players on that list? I mean, Shaq maybe being – the most dominant big outside of like, I don't know, Kareem and a couple of rare exceptions in that list, but you know, Shaq and Kobe being together, one wing, one, one big player. But a lot of times they're going to be wing players. LeBron's a wing player. Dwayne Wade's a wing player. You know, you have Nowitzki being one of the few big guys, you know, Tim Duncan being one of the few big guys, but Kawhi's a wing player. There's not a lot of wing depth in the league. And if you have two of the top 10 wing players on your roster, that's going to go a long way. And now that, Tatum has ascended to the playmaking level that he's ascended to. You know, Jalen is trying to figure out how he can play off that and still be successful. There's still wrinkles they can tinker with to make that pairing even more deadly in terms of their offensive sets where, you know, maybe Tatum screening for Jalen or, you know, vice versa, where they try and play off each other that way. But like trading those two guys, one of those two guys was always dumb. We've always said that in this show forever. They need to keep this together for longer to see what they really have. And now that they've done that and they haven't panicked and traded one of them, now you're seeing the fruit of their labors. And it's like when you look at the question of is Jalen Brown good enough to stop or good enough to carry this team as their second option, I'm sitting here saying, well, you know, what do you – is there a defense out there that can that can contain these two guys when they're hitting on all cylinders? Because you look at the Eastern Conference. I mean, Miami's a really good team, mm-hmm. and Spolstra never gets enough credit for the what they've built down there. 
they're a good defensive team, and Bam Adebayo can make things difficult. Jimmy Butler's very good defensively. They definitely have some good pieces. You look at Milwaukee with Giannis as a defensive player. He's really good. Drew Holiday's very good. Middleton's long. They can slow some guys down, no question. Um, Boston's really good, but they're, you know, can't play themselves. Philly, obviously, is not a team that I worry about anymore, especially on the defensive end. You know, a team like Toronto with Nick Nurse and how they could scheme up some things maybe to slow them down for a bit, we'll see. But, like, my point being, there's not a lot of defensive guys out there that's going to be able to stop these two when they're really humming. And as you saw in Denver last night, when they are, you're, you're going to get buried very quickly. Um, these two guys have always upped their game every offseason or for Tatum's perspective in the middle of the season. And now that they're both healthy, things are going really well, you know, the rest of the team has fallen in place. It's like, yeah, why wouldn't you want to keep these two guys, you know, together for as long as you possibly can? Where it felt like six months ago, it's like almost inevitable you're going to break them up. It was always dumb. It will always be dumb, especially with the lack of wing depth in the NBA. And now that things are going well, the fact that the national media is starting to see it is a little bit more calming to this guy, and I'm sure everybody else all over the place. Ian, I imagine you're on board with all of that. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing with Jalen uh, Brown is making the big shots uh, down the stretch. And so if he's going to be the number two guy on the title contender, he has to be able to do that, you know. Um, and you can think about all these different championship teams over the year. They always had that secondary score. Um, I mean, the last Celtics team, it was Ray Allen. Uh, and then, yeah, Garnett really is their third scorer. So really the question, I'm not, I don't, I don't think anybody should be worried about Jalen Brown because of his versatility. He's showing he can make big jump shots out to the three-point line. He can get to the basket. Uh, both guys give them easy baskets in transition. And their offense is so much built on their defense uh and and gets them into a, a tempo that puts the opponent's defense on the heels. Um that as long as they're playing defense, it creates this whole sense of teamwork, right? Where they're all pushing and everything and everybody knows the hierarchy. It's Jason and Jalen. And then really who's gonna be the number three guy? Um like the, with the Celtics, the old Celtics teams with Garnett, Garnett was the third guy. But you think about the Miami Heat teams um, that won. Okay, it's LeBron and Wade. And then Chris Bosh was very often an afterthought as the mm-hmm. third guy. He was there when they needed him, but very much not getting touches or scoring a lot in the big games. It would be all those two guys. So when people question, do the Celtics have enough scoring to win the championship? I think what they're really saying is who is that third guy? But if you look back at a lot of these championship teams, a lot of times the third guy gets overlooked anyway. So um, their style of play to win it would be with defense. And uh, if they're playing um, Miami or Milwaukee in the playoff series, those are going to be rough, hard-hitting games, might be some low-scoring games, might be some ugly games. Um and that's when the defense is going to really be tested That because that's how they're going to win those kinds of series is with their defense. So I know the old adage, obviously, it's it's cliche at this point, but talk to the Dennis Rodmans of the world. Uh, you know, defense wins championships, obviously, Evan or uh, Ian, well, both of you. We're, we're looking at a what really could be an historically great 
defense in the NBA. Obviously, it has lapped the field. I've been, I've been saying it for months. Once yeah, you yeah. once you start holding teams to the same field goal percentage as the 0-4 Pistons, you you give my attention fully. Especially when the pacing is way different now. Way more shots now. The pace is much yeah. faster. The efficiency be- between everybody mm-hmm. shooting threes and trying to take layups is much different. It won't, but if you can hold the team to for a, an entire season, your opponents have forty two percent shooting from the field, which is what the O four Pistons did. It, it, you're you're in special special territory there. Well, One, and if you look at what Grandy's been tweeting out at three o'clock in the morning the past <laughs> couple of nights because yeah. he's been on the West Coast, you're going to see some of the stuff they've been and that some of the you know the. The advanced numbers are just absolutely outrageous on this team. The defense is one big part of that for sure. Well, looking obviously just at the collective, you know, it's been the best defense all season long, statistically speaking, say for like the first two weeks of the year. But overall, Celtics have the best defense. But you want to go back to, you know, when this all turned, which is January 8th is where the, the run began for the Celtics. They have far and away the best defense, like lapping the field, best defense, and then an offense because, you know, great defense, defense leads to good offense An offense that is borderline top five in the NBA in terms of the collective and offensive efficiency and points per 100 possessions and all of that. So Ian, I guess what I'm wondering is, is this defense so good, you know, with, with what you've seen, with what you expect it to be again, provided health, is it so good that you just believe that this team in a playoff series in a seven game series can compete with anybody that there's no one that, you know, you don't view as a as an even playoff series. Doesn't mean the Celtics would, you know, go into every series as a favorite or anything like that. Like there are certainly teams in the East that do scare me, Milwaukee at the top of that list. But where you believe the Celtics defense is good enough to where any series that they play, first round and certainly beyond, is going to be a competitive one. Yeah, if you put it like that, yeah. Going to be or could be, you know, um, I'm just, I'm personally not at the point where I'm saying, okay, they are a great defensive team. I don't think you say that until they've shown they're a great defensive team by going through the playoffs on their defense. I mean, it looks great right now, but they're going to, and everything's going very well right now. It's, it's almost too good to be true. Right. (laughs) But, but when they get into the playoffs, I mean, we just all know that somebody's going to get hurt. Maybe two guys get hurt. They're going to go up against a hot team or somebody, something's going to happen. It's just, there's going to be all sorts of curveballs here. And does your defense hold up under those circumstances? Uh, do you get screwed over at the end of a game that you should have won because of a bad call or somebody makes a half court shot or something like that? You know, there are all sorts of tests coming up. And they have not passed those tests yet. They just haven't. They're doing everything they can at this point of the year to create a sense of promise, to get people to believe in them. I mean, you couldn't ask them to do anything more than they're doing right now, but they haven't done it. They haven't done anything, especially in this town. You know, if we were in some other, if we were in Memphis or something, it'd be a different point of view, right? But here, everybody here knows when you've really done it. And the only time you really do is when they're getting ready to put the parade together. <laughs> so those are the high standards here. And I think for the first time since they've been here, because they were just too young before, 
the two key guys understand the the standard and they're embracing that. I mean, remember Jalen Brown saying to Danny, uh, oh, we're just as good as your teams back in the 80s, right? Remember he said that a few years ago and you're thinking, oh my God, this guy, how can you possibly win if that's your perspective? (laughs) But now I think they understand just how tough it is and what they're up against. And that's, you know, and they, they've got a coach from the Popovich school and um, and they've had hard times and they had hard times a few months ago and they overcame it. How did they overcome it? By doing all the hard things. So, look, they're doing everything right right now, but I'm just not going to say that they're there or that you can count on them. They don't even know for sure if they can count on themselves right now. Um When guys win the championship for the first time and they don't know how to talk, (laughs) they they can't find the words, they're crying, they're overcome. It's because they weren't sure if they had it in them. They weren't sure if they could win it until they won it. That's, that's true with just about every player. And, um, and so I think that's where they are right now. It's a great place to be, but they're not there yet. So, Ev, we were talking yesterday about this time, and, of course, that was before what happened in the NBA last night beyond the Celtics, and I don't remember exactly what the standings looked like at that point, but they've moved around a little bit. And as I mentioned, the C's, you know, Miami's in first, then you have the Bucks three games back, Sixers and C's, they are effectively tied at three and a half back of first, then you have the Bulls five and a half, the Cavs six, and then you got the uh, Raptors, Nets, Hornets, Hawks currently uh, sitting in the play-in tournament, and it's probably going to be some combination of that or a team or two that's uh, ahead in the East. I think we can count out the the Wizards and Knicks from any sort of contention at this point with about 10 games to go. So there, there's so much talk right now about, you know, freeze the standings. You don't want to be the two. You don't want to face the Nets in round one and all, all of this stuff. And I just, one, to me, it's kind of a waste of time to even project out a first-round playoff because – at the moment, everything is so fluid. These teams in the top four or five are so close in the standings as I outlined. But beyond that, too, I just like this is if ever there were a team and I've advocated in the past, you know, for like come game 82 and well, you know, this matchup versus that matchup when you kind of you kind of have a choice in it and, you know, how you can evaluate that sort of thing. But I, I don't see this team playing the way it's playing, being scared of anyone like I talked about, but also tinkering with anything to try to align anything to, you know, avoid a team or go for a team that they desire. I think it's, you know, cards are just going to fall wherever they fall. And and I think they're good with that. Like, I don't, whether they should be or not, I don't think they're scared of the nets. No. And I'll, I'll, I'll pivot a little bit in terms of like what I said yesterday with you on a text message. Um, everybody's trying to avoid the nets because the thought of playing Kyrie, um, you know, and Katie together is, is really daunting. And I don't discount that because Kyrie, when he plays, is out of his mind right now. He's, he's ridiculous right now. I mean, when he, a couple of the games he's had, the one in, the one in Orlando was just an absolutely ridiculous game. But I'll say this. If you're going to catch the Nets, you'd rather catch them early than late because I do believe that as we get further and further away from today's date, the more likely it is Kyrie's playing at home. Um, I also think that there is something to be gained by the fact that Boston at one point, not so long ago, was the 11 seed, not even in the playing tournament. Mm-hmm. To go from there to second place would be an all-time swing, I think, maybe in like NBA history, to be frankly honest with you. It is an absolutely ridiculous turnaround. And I think given the, the confidence the team is playing with, 
I don't think that you're looking at anybody saying, yeah, we don't want to play them. Like the teams that – look, every team in the East is – it has a, 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 a has at least something going for it. I think with the exception of maybe Toronto, but Toronto's got Nurse and they're playing super well together. And, and you know, the, uh, Pascal Siakam has played significantly better second half of the season. Fred Van Vliet is always uh, – uh, a guy that thrives in the playoffs. So it's not like I'm discounting them either. They're a good team. They just don't have that superstar type talent that some of these other teams do. But like, if you look at every other team, I mean, the only team I'm truly afraid of are, uh, is, is the Milwaukee Bucks because Giannis can go off for 50 points in a game six in the NBA finals and totally derail your entire season just by doing that. So with the exception of Milwaukee, I don't think Boston should really be afraid of any team. So if they get the three seed, great. Honestly, two or one seed or bust here. Have as many home games as you possibly can. I don't, I don't, people are like, oh, they should try and be the four so they get the four or five. Well, then you gotta go the wrong play Miami. That's not gonna be fun. Okay. Not gonna be fun. Oh, yeah. Get the three seed. So that way you get six. You avoid, uh, you know, the, the potential Raptors, you know, or the, or maybe the net. Like, no, 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 no. Get the two seed. So you're playing Milwaukee at home. Like get one of the top two seeds. And that way the only time you're on the road is a potential playing the one seed Miami. And then at that point, you're in the Eastern Conference Finals and hell, anything can happen at that point. So all the people that are like, oh, they should jockey for a position. They should look for the three, the four. No, no, no. Finish the season the best you can. Give yourself as many home games as possible and and let the chips fall or they fall. Everybody trying to be like, oh, yeah, the, uh, uh, Philly is tanking so they avoid, you know, the Nets. Well, that might be true, but that shouldn't be Boston's mentality. Boston's mentality should be we should finish the season as strong as we can, get as many home games as we can, and and just let the chips fall where they may. Because every team in this conference is going to be tough. Every series you're going to play, no matter who you play, is going to be tough. There's no cheap out. Like even with the with the Bulls, DeRozan and Levine, plus mm-hmm. the guys coming back and Caruso, cool. Williams, and Ball, that's not fun. So just trust me. Get as many wins as you can, have the best seed as you can, and go into the playoffs with as many home games as possible. Anybody saying the other the, the other arguments, I think are just – they're not looking at what they should be really looking at. So, Ian, we've only got a few minutes left, and I want to make sure that we hit on this because since our last show, even though it, it feels like an eternity ago with what's been going on with the team on the floor, but since our last show was the Kevin Garnett retirement ceremony, Jersey retirement there at the Garden, and it was just – it was awesome. You know, kudos to the Celtics. It, it – was perfectly done, you know, adding in the, the Q&A versus obviously a few years back when Paul Pierce's jersey number went up, you know, when he just spoke. It was just, it was a different feel, obviously, but it was it was so great. And I think, you know, for a, a certain generation of uh, of Celtics fans, and I'm, you know, right there at the forefront of it with, you know, Evan as well, with Kevin Dur- Kevin Garnett and 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 Paul Pierce and, and Ray Allen all sort of reconciling in front of everybody, uh, even though I know there was a prior conversation and, and the picture at the all-star game and all of that, but, you know, having that moment, it was just, it was, it was wonderful. Now where I, uh, I, I don't agree with, with KG is, you know, saying Ray Allen's next, you know, in terms of having the Jersey up there and in the rafters, I, I don't see that coming. I, I just don't, I, well, I'll, I'll rephrase. It could happen. With this ownership group, which is it's going to sound critical framing that way, but I, I think they they really love moments like this and to cement moments like this. It could happen. Wick, you know, and company could decide, you know, let's put twenty up there for Ray Allen. I don't think it belongs. I don't think, even though historically you look up the thirty plus numbers that are up there, 
it's it's easy to have the takeaway that as, as long as you are a a star associated with a championship, your number's going up. I think that's a little too low a standard, quite frankly, to have your number retired. And the other thing is with Ray Allen, not to we won't have a whole Ray Allen dialogue here, but it's sort of unfortunate that like he's obviously an all time great. He's no doubt Hall of Famer. He is a Hall of Famer. But the fact that, you know, he he just bounced around as much as he did, like he played his longest in Milwaukee. He played his best in Seattle. He won his first championship with the Celtics, but he was everywhere with the exception of Miami, pretty much the same amount of time. And the accolades were generally kind of consistent, which it sort of takes you away from having your jersey retired somewhere unless like the Bucks were, you know, uh, electing to do it. So I, I don't see it. I could be wrong, uh, but but I don't think he is next. Sorry, I forgot to unmute myself. Yeah, um, it's it's a real borderline thing. <clears throat> they would not have been able to trade for Kevin Garnett if they hadn't got Ray Allen first. Sure. So he he's the one that enabled them to to get Garnett and win the championship. Um, when Garnett came in, uh, Paul Pierce and Ray Allen played defense, and they hadn't been known for that before. And I remember Nate McMillan watching Ray Allen that season saying, what the heck, why didn't we have this when he was playing for us in Seattle? So um, Ray Allen changed a lot uh, with the Celtics. And every year there would be trade, after the first few years, every year there'd be trade rumors in midseason. Ray Allen was, and he almost got moved a couple of times and he found out about it. So it's it's really borderline. A lot of cities, it'd be a no-brainer to trade Ray Allen because this would, that'd be the only championship they have. But here, it's a different metric, right? What what I really liked about what was really intriguing to me about that whole ceremony was to imagine what Jason Tatum was thinking while he was watching it, while he was in the audience, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and to get a, a sense emotionally of what Garnett's leadership meant to the team and how that kind of leadership turned into a championship and he was able to feel the emotion of it from the fans and from the whole aura of the thing and and experience that and I'm sure he's sitting there visualizing can I be that guy too can I be the guy when they're putting my number up there and they're talking about how I led the team well now I this is what I'm going to have to do it must have really hit home to him and it would not have hit home a couple of years ago because he wasn't anywhere close to doing it. But now he's feeling he's on the verge of leading a team to the championship. And he got the best possible hands-on upfront lesson by watching Kevin Garnett's retirement like that firsthand and hearing all the stories and just seeing the intensity that, that KG gives off, even in that setting. Mm-hmm. It's like he was back in uniform during yeah. that whole ceremony. So I just thought that was like the, the, the great gift to this team was to have that ceremony now that they've turned the corner and they have these high hopes for themselves. My prediction, I'll leave us with this is the next banner to go up there, save for a championship banner, but the next, that type of banner that goes up there, it's not going to be for Ray Allen. It's going to be Ainge. It's not 44. It's going to be the name Ainge for his contributions to the organization. I think we're a few years away from it, but I think Ainge is going to go up there from his time as a player to an architect, especially if, you know, this team in the next year or two wins a championship with his fingerprints all over it. I think that we are absolutely going to see Ainge up there in the rafters at some point. And I think we'll see him in the Hall of Fame at some point, too. 
Agreed. Agreed. Um, the Hall of Fame, they split things up. Yeah. You know, you're either a player or an executive. That might be harder, but I bet he makes it as an executive. Or a contributor. There. You could just go in as a contributor. Yeah, yeah. But the, but the retirement of the number, yes. That's a great call. All right. We got to go, uh, but we will have another show. It's a special week because we were we, we were on our, our little hiatus. We're going to have two shows this week, so we'll have another one for you Thursday or Friday. Stay with us. We appreciate you. This show powered on uh, powered by betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag today. Use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% sign-up bonus. We thank you. Bet Online, we thank you. Ian Thompson, Evan Valenti, I'm Adam Kaufman, and 4-0. Complete the road trip tonight, C's. Get it done in OKC. Starters out there for the first half. Bench for the second half. Win by 30. All right, we'll see you later.